0: Hi, I'm Jeff Hendrickson, and welcome to the Sage Warrior Gentleman Podcast, where we explore the three facets of the modern mature man and discuss leadership, chivalry, and style so that you can continue to bring your best to the world. Through interviews with men from all walks of life, some I've known and worked with in various industries over the years, you'll learn some valuable lessons about modern men and their struggles and triumphs. It's my pleasure to introduce you to my great friend and frequent collaborator, Mark Macaluso. Mark is a strategic-minded business executive with experience in B2B at Emerson Electric and Regal Beloit, both multinational industrial organizations where he honed his knowledge of customer experience. He is currently the CEO for Union Point Development, a consultancy focused on entrepreneurs, and the CMO for the healthcare company NKY Speech and Language Services. Mark has worn many hats in his impressive career, and he continues to push for clarity and excellence in everything he pursues. He is also the founder of Cincinnati Digital CX Meetup, where he organizes informative monthly events and coaches younger professionals with career advice and strategy. All right, Mark, thank you very much, man, for joining me tonight on the Sage Warriors Gentleman Cup podcast. I really appreciate it. How are you doing tonight?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome, man. So you and I got to know each other here in Cincinnati a little while back. Um, I think it was probably at that World Usability Day um, workshop that we were doing and uh, have become really good friends since then. You've, you've reached out to me. You've, you've really made me feel welcome here in the, in the Cincinnati community. And um, we both run workshops. You and I have done how many? Three workshops together, or four workshops? Three, together? Three, three, three together. together. Yeah, right,
1: cool. and we got a fourth one coming up the, uh, next week.
0: Yeah, we do. That's right. Virtual. So um, let's get into let's get into you. Let let's get into your let let's do career first. We'll we'll talk about family too, but um, let's start talking about your career. Tell us about your about your path and and how you got to where you are right now. Well,
1: I'll start where I am today because uh, that's the current state. I'm a self-employed entrepreneur with a healthcare industry practice, a business uh, built by my wife five years ago. And as I rolled out of the industrial B2B world of marketing and CX, uh, she found her business growing and really needing somebody to support the marketing and the tech and the back office and the finances. And those were all the various branches of my career development um, at different stages. And that really was a good fit for her as she turned her attention more fully to the clients. She needed somebody to run the back office. So I had kind of reached a point in my industrial corporate experience that it was time to step away and try something different this was a huge pivot for
0: me mm-hmm. yeah you've 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 told me a little bit about that um, so the company you were with before for whatever reason I can oh regal, regal. yep regal talk a little bit about that because that's uh, to me, it, that, that's how I got to know you and in, in, in your position in Regal and, and that's how you and I got together Was starting to do our workshops. So talk a little bit about that because that's where you, I think, you really, you really cut your chops and what it is you're doing right now and how you've become such a high-level pro at doing the whole customer experience stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, Regal was uh, a serial acquirer For 10 years, they purchased 30 businesses, that was their strategy. And in 2015, they purchased a business unit of Emerson Electric, of which I was a member. And uh, they were in a world of hurt. They had so many acquisitions. Initially, I was told they had 40 public-facing websites. I went on to find they had 125 public-facing websites. (laughs) And they needed a digital strategy. And I had formulated and executed one at Emerson, so I had the playbook. So cutting my chops maybe at a a more demanding level or a more fully in charge level, because at Emerson, I was just one of the teammates of a $25 billion corporation at one of 30 business units. So I contributed. I played a role. Uh, We were very much a thought leader operation for Emerson, coming up with great new ideas. Uh, really, my boss at that time, Brad Gossard, was instrumental in creating a vision and really showing me what true leadership was and the teams that he built, and the ideas he had. So we were able to quickly bring that to Regal, met with the chairman where he requested that I craft the, the digital strategy knowing my experience uh, at Emerson, and uh, we were directed to work with a firm out of Milwaukee, Northwoods, who helped me really grasp how far user experience had come. Um, You know, we had used pieces of it at Emerson, but it was never a department or a go-to function. Uh, You kind of figured out how to deal with design and Um, They really opened my eyes as to doing quality uh, research with our customers, existing customers, developing personas, finding out user needs and wants. Um, And also they had an eye for design. So they helped us through that whole process of defining the strategy. We presented to the chairman, I guess, six months after I had been asked to pull that together. And we had it approved and we launched down a road uh, of a MarTech platform initiative. Really, we had the ERP component in place, the enterprise resource planning. We had used Oracle eBusiness Suite, and Emerson had the same application and version. So it was relatively easy to merge us together. But it was the upper layers we were lacking. We really did not have a full scale WMS. CMS. Uh, We lacked the back end data management of a PDM uh, and then a DAM uh, for digital asset management. So there were a lot of heavy lifting components that I was familiar with and aware of and had been party to in teams with Emerson. So I was able to contribute readily as to what were the building blocks and the components to make our strategy execute. Mm. So that helped us make. Uh, purchasing decisions more rapidly, uh, bring products in and deploy them, and simultaneously building teams because we did not have a UI, UX department. There wasn't a customer experience crew. Um, Regal had really had an almost total focus on ERP implementation, and they could do that like nobody's business because they had done it dozens and dozens of times. So they had done a great job really getting that foundation in place because without an ERP, you can't feed a commerce solution or a web buying experience with meaningful data. Mm -hmm. So it was a great marriage between success they had and some of the success we brought to the table as an acquisition. And they kind of let us, you know, run for several years uh, to try to fulfill the vision.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, you're in Kentucky right now, but when you and I had dinner the other night, I think I learned some more things about you that I didn't know. And that was about kind of your path of how you, of how you ended up here in the Cincinnati area. Talk a little bit about that. I, that was interesting.
1: Well, my career, um, unusually enough started out in public accounting in Albany, New York. And I, you know, gathered a lot of financial and tax and accounting insights um, and was hoping to use that as a segue into a client uh, as kind of my strategy out of school. And I spent about four years there. and I worked in banking, financial services, retail, manufacturing, auto dealerships, kind of a full a slate of different industries. And I really found myself gravitating to manufacturing. Mm-hmm. It always seemed the most fascinating, the most complex, you have inventories, receivables, payables, all kinds of interesting financial arrangements depending on your, your costing methodology, and I realized that manufacturing was really where I wanted to move to, so my dad had a relationship with a man who had a, he was an entrepreneur, built his own a multi-million dollar business called Consular, and they made a custom uh, filtering equipment, uh, some of which uh, went into biomedical, some went into food processing, uh, water processing, um, even the spirits and wines and beers and things like that, where you're trying to move remove, you know, micron level particulates uh, for the finished product. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a great experience and kind of a, a process accounting environment. Um, I spent a couple of years there, became an accounting supervisor, and my goal really was to become a controller. So I ended up changing jobs and, and went with a company called Alliance Automation. And they were very neat because um, they were using some old school power transmission equipment, like gearboxes and motors and belt drives and chain drives and, and bearings and things like that to make things move and turn but they were introducing robotics into the story. So it was kind of an exciting opportunity. And I had a chance to go through an acquisition of a robotics company that became a subsidiary. And as the accounting supervisor, I was able to travel out to the West Coast and consummate that deal. We had another manufacturing facility in Michigan, and I found myself uh, in charge of a multi-plant, multi-state manufacturing business which was part of Cross and Trekker. And uh, that was a really wonderful experience, more in a percent of completion accounting environment because many of the projects span more than one year. Mm. So I found myself in yet a different kind of cost accounting environment with new complexities. And then I eventually saw an opportunity with the division of Emerson back in Ithaca, New York, where I had gone to school and it was right down the street from you know where I took classes. Yeah. And it was uh, part of the old Morse Chain Works, and uh, they also had a a bearing and a gearing operation out in Denver and in Chicago. So they had the beginnings of the makings of a power transmission equipment company, and I had the opportunity to join them as a assistant to the controller. I was a controller as I left Cross and Trekker, I kind of achieved that goal seven years out of school, which was, you know, kind of one of those things you chalk up and say, hey, I I did it, I, I drove for it. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, the opportunity at Emerson was really much more of a standard costing environment. So I had yet another set of things I really had to learn about. And my apprenticeship under the VP of uh, finance my first two years was to help fix some problems, financial problems. The company had just formed in 1987. I joined them in 88 and they had gutted all of the accounting operations and all of their facilities around the country and created a central accounting operation in Ithaca.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, with that, they couldn't uh, close books. They couldn't move labor. They couldn't uh, transact the inventory. They lost all capability to really even understand their sales and cost levels. And I was hired because of my my public accounting experience and my multiple manufacturing experiences. And was asked to go out in the field and fix it. So Mm -hmm. I visited each site, did an audit of the site, came back with a manual about everything I had studied, all the different areas and made recommendations. And then I was asked to hire the staffing back that was needed in order to fix the problems that had been encountered. Wow.
0: What? Your background is awesome, man. Every, every, time, every time you and I talk, I learn something new about your background that I never knew before. And there are, there are so many facets of it. There's, there, there's so much that you've done. I've heard finance. I've heard manufacturing um, you you you've been doing the customer experience stuff. You've been doing marketing stuff. You've got this multifaceted background that is just absolutely amazing. So we'll take a little bit of a pivot now from this, and I want to talk about what this experience has meant for you and your family. I, and, and in general, a lot of guys have a... I don't know, it's 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 strange because because some guys can tie career and family together very, very tightly. Other guys other guys can't. It's 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 I have my career over here and I have my family over here, but my outlook on that is that they have to come together somehow or another. What you do for a living has to it definitely impacts your family because you know, in in some cases you're the breadwinner, in some cases you know, um, 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 a man and his partner, his wife, whatever it happens to be, are working together and they're both doing it. So how do you see what you've done in your life as 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 having some sort of an impact on your family?
1: Well, I, I met my wife, uh, future wife, in college. So that was kind of a real foundation. And <clears throat> we went through school together and then I went off into the workforce and so she got her master's degree and then we got married after she got her degree, so she got certified as a speech pathologist. So that really helps bring a couple together uh, for the journey, whatever that's going to be. And um, you know, we we then uh, she moved to Albany with me, where I had a job. We moved up to Rochester with the Alliance Group. We moved back to Ithaca where we had grown up as kids. She worked in a clinic the speech clinic on campus at Ithaca uh, while I was working with Emerson. So it was very unified. We were really driving after the same goals in terms of career development, career accomplishment. My wife went on to work at Cortland State University as a professor of speech mythology. Uh, So she kept kind of achieving some of those things she talked about, thought about, wanted to do with her career. While I was, you know, kind of moving up in responsibility level to a manager level at Emerson, when '95 we, we decided to leave and go out to Chicagoland, and that was a big jump for us because my wife was born and raised in up upstate New York, had always lived there, and we're going out to the Midwest. But we were committed, and it was an opportunity for me to go into marketing, which was a huge risk because I had, you know, established myself as a financial person and um back the president when i asked him for the opportunity he said mark i'm going to send you out there but you're going to fail nobody's ever moved from finance to marketing and been successful so i think he kind of knew me well enough all he needed to do was kind of stoke me up with a little bit of you know (laughs) (laughs) you can't do this
0: throw down the gauntlet right slap you around a little bit yeah
1: so the kids were young, you know, they were committed to the move, it was exciting, we had a new home, and, uh, but I think it was challenging for them, nonetheless, to be newcomers, to a small town, so there were a lot of adjustments, and I think those years were difficult in many ways, because the kids went from elementary school to college during the 15 years we were out there, mm-hmm. uh, both of them got their college degrees at Purdue University, I got my master's at Purdue University, mm-hmm. and my wife. Stayed on doing part-time, full-time, changed jobs once or twice, held the house down, helped raise the kids while I was jetting around the world and, you know, getting opportunities. And sometimes we'd use those frequent flyer stays and the family vacation. So I think everybody kind of saw, you know, there was some synergy to supporting the family game plan and that while, you know, missing that on some business travel. Um, one of us was always around and, you know, the weekends were always together. There was never, Mm -hmm. other than a trip to Europe and a trip to Asia, you know, did a weekend ever kind of become unavailable for family?
0: Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So next pivot, mistakes. Can you talk about a really big mistake you made and what you learned from it?
1: Yeah. Um, I trusted some people in leadership positions to do what they said and to say what they do, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And it cost me years of hard work and perseverance and promotion and money and responsibility along the way. You know, as you move and change jobs, as you get promoted, uh just within Emerson, I had six different distinctively uh identified responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just promotion within a particular area. So I had six different bosses over the uh, 30 years that I was with Emerson. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some are some are good apples and some aren't. And um, yeah. some say they're going to do something for you and they don't. And I think it is hard when you're very driven and you're very goal-oriented and you're trying to, be the best and do the best and accomplish the most and and lead others in a wholesome way when you find your dreams crushed by somebody who is a leader but doesn't demonstrate leadership.
0: Yeah. So did that create any trust issues for you going forward?
1: Uh, Well, it has since, you know, some of those first early experiences. Um, You know, those uh, break your heart when you find somebody who said they were would have your back and we're going to take care of you and you find out 2 years later you know they abandon ship and and say oh I'm sorry I couldn't make that happen yeah you know so
0: so how yeah. has that how has that reformed your strategy what what do you use now when when you when you find that you might be getting into that situation again, what is it that you do differently now to make sure that you don't throw yourself into something that could just really end up backfiring on you?
1: Um, Well, I repeated my mistakes again, because in many cases, you get into a new position. If you don't support the new boss, you're not a team player. And if you don't buy into the leader, then, you know, you're quickly isolated. So yeah. you kind of have to go in with, you know, most of your heart on the table and say, look, I'm, I'm here. I want to make it better. I want to help you. You know, I want you to advance also. My goal is to, you know, advance along with you. So luckily I ran into a guy when I moved out in Valparaiso, Brad Gossard, who ended up becoming one of two bosses I had after a couple of years. There was like a tag team. Brad had the vision for digitizing an old industrial brick and mortar company. But my boss out in Indiana, Chicagoland area, you know, was my daily supervisor. Mm -hmm. So I started a relationship with Brad and Brad and I quickly got aligned, you know, because he could see how driven I was, how passionate I was. I respected the vision that he exhibited. And I bought it again and I found a good apple Mm -hmm. and somebody I ended up working for for 12 years. And it's kind of the pinnacle of my work career. It was at two different time segments, but he recruited me back off of, again, one of my disappointments following one of these uh, opportunities, uh, you know, to go off and do some uh, ERP implementation. And then he swung me back onto the marketing team when in 2010, we moved to the Cincinnati area and the, the division restructured from a five operating unit structure to a central functional org. And marketing went from five divisional departments to a single department. Mm. And he said, Mark, I'm going to need your help to pull all this together. You know, there are so many rough edges and loose ends having to pull these groups together we have to do it in a clean, clear way to be sure we don't lose anything we had, but to build on the new structure. And obviously, there's going to be people displaced, and we're going to have to build new processes. And, you know, it had to, had to support market research, uh, strategy, execution, project planning. So we just had a, a wonderful time for those first five years to really make the department what his vision was. And I was his right-hand guy and able to, you know, follow the leader. He's a true leader. He demonstrated Maxwell level five, you know, you admire him so much. If he says, jump over the edge, you jump over the edge because you believe in his leadership.
0: You're willing to follow him. How, how have all these experiences that you've had both the bad and the good experiences made you a better boss and a better leader?
1: Well, I stayed true to what my dad taught me about truthfulness, honesty, transparency, um, inspiring others, um, teach, uh, encourage. You know, if you don't have the strongest person on your team, don't kick them to the curb. Find out what what you need to do to nurture them to to get up to speed with the rest. It's like in a family, you know, sometimes you have a kid who's a little – delayed or you know has some problems and you make sure they feel 100% of part of the family Mm -hmm. so you know that was always my goal was to help people to educate themselves train themselves learn new tools be active participants uh, as members of the team contribute so I never stopped doing that even when times were tough on me and I maybe didn't get that treatment that I was really clamoring for mm. it was really about being sure of the people beneath me and those teams grew and grew and grew I went from you know departments of two or three to five to ten to a final point of 25 people when I was with Regal and I kept you know even at that point there were managers beneath me managing groups and my encouragement was to them nurture and feed your team members uh, let them be the best they can be because
0: yeah.
1: a happy employee produces 50% more than an unhappy employee, yeah, right. maybe a hundred percent,
0: more. maybe even more. Right. Yeah. And you know, one thing I've, one thing I've learned about you, one thing that I've always really appreciated about you is, is in the work we've done together where, and it's, it's impossible to get into in, in the amount of time we've got right here, but, but, but let's just put it this way. You're very humble, and you understand when you've got a lesson to learn. And the way you and I have worked together, you've asked me several times to, to help teach you some things based on my own experiences, and sometimes they've been tough. And a couple times, I've been tough on you. I have. But you've responded, and you've bounced back, and you've said, okay, I'm not used to doing it that way, but... I get what you're saying and I'll try that. And it's cool how you stay humble like that. And as I said earlier, the more I learn about you, the more I understand how deep your knowledge is and how much experience you have in everything. So it means even more to me now, doing this interview with you and hearing you talk more about it, that you were willing to listen to me and put aside some of the stuff that you had been doing for a long time and think about a new way to do something so that you could broaden your experience even more.
1: Well, I remember our second workshop together, we were kind of tweaking your traditional design thinking Mm -hmm. and bringing a little bit of an industrial B2B storyline. And we got together several times. And every time you kept coming back and say, you need to simplify. You need to simplify. <laughs> you you know you're very deep. You know a lot. Yeah. You're coming at an audience that is not going to quite capture it, and you got to keep it simple. And I think we ended the the session. It was kind of our fourth run through. And I said, Jeff, you know, we still could have simplified it more. You know, <laughs> the lesson. Right. It's right. like you're your idea of iterate, 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 you know, I think your other mantra is simplify, simplify, simplify.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, cool. So uh, now let's switch over to, to wins. And, you know, you, uh, you've talked a lot about this path that you've walked and some of these great experiences you've had, but is, are are there any wins? Is there a great win that you would want to talk about that, that, that really solidified something for you? in your life that
1: well i'm gonna just talk briefly about the persistence factor of not giving up on bosses and finding a truly inspiring boss Mm. who ultimately taught me what true leadership was who trusted in me gave me responsibility cleared a path for me let me hire gave me resources advanced my career promoted me provided financial rewards, respected me. And, you know, the message I have is if you've had a tough situation, a tough employer, a tough boss, a tough job, don't give up. Keep trying. Go back after it, and you will find an opening where you belong. So with that being said, you know, it was really – the culmination came in probably two thousand six, and this is like six, seven years into our digital transformation at the Power Transmission Solutions Group. We built our first website in nineteen ninety nine with the help of ClickCommerce. Anybody old me they remember that name. <laughs> um, you know, they were the foremost web development company. We were determined to put commerce into the the website. There were three layers within the website the totally public, the self registered, and then the customer account registration only. Mm-hmm. Um, we digitized all these paper catalogs into web pages. We built applications for people to access the data, depending on the persona that they were. Um, engineers could go and use engineering applications to speed up the process to specify our products. These all led to increased sales. Those seven years were really kind of like the big win for me because we didn't have the playbook. We made the playbook and I then went off and did ERP for three years, put in six uh, plants around the globe. And that's when Brad called me off of waivers and brought me on to the marketing team. And we had a chance to really fulfill that vision and called it customer experience in 2010 we morphed their department name into CX and tried to think about more than just the digitization process, but how do we make customer service better? How do we make application engineering better? How do we make field sales better? How do we make them more part of the team? Uh, And then the crowning jewel really was the opportunity with Regal to pull the playbook out and really help lead them at an accelerated pace. Uh, they're not done yet. They have more work to do, but I would say $2 billion of the $4 billion worth of business was moved when I left, and they've mm. probably got about 75% of it now. So, mm. um, you know, to put that foundation in place, because digital transformation is about foundations, about having building blocks and layering more appropriate technology with processes on top of them to make them operate until you can build up to the point where you completely transform the organization
0: yeah that's cool and speaking of that that is our upcoming uh, meetup coming up next week as you're leading that digital transformation group and um, uh glenn and dave have have some pretty cool ideas so i think that's going to end up being really neat i think you're i think you're really going to like the way this is going to come out but you know, you're you're the main man. You know, they've they've learned everything from you. They took what you set up, and um, are are running with it. So I think we'll probably be reviewing that maybe tomorrow night if we can, or something like that. I, I I gave them a really really short window to work with, and they said, okay, man, we'll get it done. I'm like, all right, rock on. All right. So well,
1: after last uh, yeah, after last night's walkthrough, uh, I could tell you guys were beginning to. Kind of figure out yep. your angle, yep. And I'm I'm really encouraged to get more feedback and input from them. Try to really make it a team presentation.
0: It is. It's 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 going to be it's going to be cool. It's it's going to be it's going to be a really really strong one. And we just we keep getting better with each one because we're learning how to do this stuff virtually, and it just keeps end up getting better and better. All right. So uh, here's our next pivot. Then. Um, you know what my whole thing about sage warrior gentleman is all about, right? Three facets of the modern man. And within that, there, there are traits that I believe a really strong modern man should have. And there are different ideas about this. And I know you probably have your ideas too, but I'm just going to throw out some of these words. If any of these stick with you, that's cool. If there's something else that you believe, then let's go with that. But these traits that I have... Are leadership, honor, integrity, confidence, and compassion. Any of that stuff ring true with you, or does or does something else come to mind for you?
1: They're all really good. The leadership, obviously, all I've done is talk about leadership. So the fact that you lead off with it, you know, it tells me we're on the same page. Integrity, I think I've talked a lot about that the quality Mm -hmm. of being honest having strong moral principles even though sometimes it might work against you Mm -hmm. confidence i also like talk about self-confidence because i think you have to believe in yourself um not just having trust in someone or something
0: yeah talk about that talk about self-confidence
1: well i've got a you know unlimited supply of it sometimes it you know (laughs) <laughs> may come off the wrong way. I, I think you can be self-confident without being cocky or arrogant. Um, and that self-confidence, sometimes people, they see it and they're drawn to it. It's part of that leadership quality that you want somebody who not only thinks they know what they're doing, they know they know what they're
0: doing. Yeah.
1: So that's that's a key ingredient. Um, but the compassion piece is as critical because, you know, there are people who are less fortunate than you. There are people maybe like yourself who have had a bad or in a bad experience. So it goes back to something you really taught me in our first workshop about empathy. And I think empathy is like the pathway to developing compassion. Because if you can be an empathetic listener, you can develop the compassion for others' needs.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything else?
1: Those are the four that you called out. You know, I, I had a couple of thoughts in my mind about trustworthiness, reliability, prudence, vision, commitment, passion, caring. But I think you see a lot of overlap with some of the terms you get into, you know, caring and, and, you know, it's overlapping with compassion and, um,
0: All right, so so are are any one of those other terms that you just said and traits that you just said one that's really strong for you?
1: I think the visionary piece. It's something I realized early on. Part of what moved me from Ithaca, New York, out to Chicagoland was the opportunity to get into marketing because I had experienced part of the Emerson strategic planning process. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were asking us to create forecasts out five years, very detailed forecasts. And there wasn't anybody else in the accounting department who wanted to do that work. If it didn't tie to a general ledger, a debit didn't balance to a credit, the the folks in the accounting department were like, just stay away. I don't, do not want to be associated with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I get to make up numbers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was like, of course, they were very thoughtfully put together with spreadsheets and formulas and historic trends but I'm like if this is part of strategy this is what I want to do for a career yeah and that's what really led me to go to the president and say where and how can I do more of this and he yeah. said in marketing we have an opening out at our McGill operation one of the bearing makers and I got started there and then became the head of the bearing division that had five different bearing brands and then that role under Brad became for the entire billion dollar company uh, that had all of the product offerings. So um, that was another, I think great opportunity was really to see yourself grow from a small entity to a group, to the whole operation in terms of providing your vision.
0: Yeah. And, and you helping
1: know, with the establishment of strategy.
0: Yeah. You know, so, so now you're making me think about what we went over last night and that's on stage and backstage. And, and, The backstage part of you is the accounting stuff and I don't identify with you like that. I identify with you as the onstage, as the marketing guy, as the guy who will step up and make a commitment but also just say something and recognize something. And you did that with me when we very first met, because I was leading a workshop that you were in, you were taking pictures, and the day after I heard from you, and you said, man, I would love to connect with you. I would would love to start talking to you. I would love to see if you and I can do some things together. And that's what started this friendship. That's what started these collaborations that you and I have done in several different places now so far. And so, and so to me, that's you, this guy who will step up when you recognize that something is cool and you'll say, that's cool. I'd like to be a part of that. What can I do to help you out? That's you. That's the onstage you and the backstage you is, I know it's there and I know it's been part of your, of your foundation and how you've, you've crafted yourself, um, over life, but, but you're a, um, you're a guy who's out there. You're a guy who will see something and you'll call it out when you find that it's extraordinary and you will help make it even, even better. That's you. That's who you are. I see that all the time.
1: Thank you. I think the backstage is important because it's really how everything works. It's the underpinnings to allow the vision to take hold. I compare it to like a car. There's a certain amount of excitement about being the driver and turning it on and accelerating and turning and braking, even if you're a racer. But if you're a mechanic and you know how it works and you know the pieces that go into it to make it work, the driver is never going to get behind the wheel unless you have somebody who can put that car together from the ground up. So they go together. They're they're a marriage. And that's why I really like the Miro board that you developed because I thought it gets people thinking about what is going on in the background Mm -hmm. that makes this thing that's accessible to the customer work. Because a lot of us in UX and user experience and user research are very focused on the customer and how their interactions are going, and sometimes don't see the bigger picture as to what does it take in the background to make it
0: happen. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, so what does chivalry mean to you?
1: Well, you know, I think they've, there's some dating back to the idea of knighthood and some of the qualities that were expected. And it's things like courage and honor and courtesy, you know, so they fit very much with some of the themes that you were calling out uh, early on. And they fit with the themes of the website you've created. So I think it's also readiness to help the weak, you know, because I think that's, you can hear that theme and many of the things that I said about pulling people up about helping people to improve themselves. Um, You know, I have weaknesses and I have things I can improve in, but when you're the boss or you're the leader, um, you've got to help those around you. You've you've got to reach out a hand. And so I think chivalry really is about that readiness to help those with need.
0: That's cool. All right. So we're, Starting to wind down towards the end here. There's, there's, there's not a whole lot left, but I do want to do, do something else too before I ask you these, these couple final questions here. You lead the customer experience meetup here in Cincinnati, and you started that based on your experience, and you've grown a really, really great group here in Cincinnati, and you're hosting some phenomenal meetups. I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that too. What was your, what was your idea and your, your driving thoughts behind starting that CX group?
1: It was about paying it forward, really about mentoring, providing an opportunity to share experiences. Um, you know, I've been on stage a lot, locally, regionally, nationally as a presenter and you know I'm comfortable with that this was an opportunity for me to get behind the scenes and to invite others to get on stage and to try to put the platform in place and the opportunity for them to share what they knew because that's much more interesting if I can put 12 people on stage in the course of a year instead of me in front of a group labbing 12 times it, mm-hmm. you know there's a place and a time for that but to me it was uh, giving back to others.
0: You yeah, know? yeah. You did a you did a panel discussion with Gaslight, and I typically don't like panel discussions. I, I just I, I I don't know what it is about them. I just don't like that kind of a forum. But I gave you the benefit of the doubt, and I came in and I listened and I participated. And the way you did that panel discussion was fantastic. You had that team of people there, you had, their, you, you had their manager, you had their leader there, and then you had some of the other ones. And the way you did the questions and the way you kept the flow going was masterful. And I think I called you right afterwards, right? I think I got you like on the phone right away and said, dude, you rocked it. Because you really did and you set a new standard for me as far as how panel discussion can go. So talk a little bit about that. What was, your, what was your thought process for how you put together a panel discussion and make it so interesting and interactive like that? Because it, it rocked, it rocked.
1: You're very kind. Um, I've done several panels and I've learned through every one. Um, my first one, I didn't crash and burn, the panel carried us and the audience carried the panel. I think I got three questions asked and there were 25 questions submitted by the end of the panel. So the audience totally got into it. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I learned a big lesson as the moderator, you don't have to have all the answers or have all the questions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I did a panel with uh, Chris Cravens. Um, it was a joint event and, uh, she taught me so much. Uh, about her calm and cool as a moderator that, you know, and I've looked up to her ever since I started this meetup. In fact, she's one of the first people I talked to about, you know, I'm looking for a little bit of guidance. I'm green. I'm new at this. I got a lot of industry experience and a lot to share, but I I don't know my first thing about running a group like this. And she was wonderful to me, has been since.
0: Yeah. Chris so, is great
1: it's learning each time you do one. You know, I did another interesting panel. and I've learned to try not to be the moderator again. I don't want to be on stage. And we have the head of the creative circle recruiting group and five, four women who were all coming into UX through different paths. Some were mid career at something else and were moving into it. Some were coming fresh out of school. And I learned more from that. So it, it's really a growing experience much as I have learned every time I've done workshop with you, you know, there's, there's lessons to be learned. And, and if you don't learn those lessons, then you don't get better. Yeah. But I really appreciate the feedback. Um, you know, I think the other thing is the topic was hugely valuable to me because it was developers and designers. And I think a lot of times yeah. in the UI UX community, we don't always have necessarily a close relationship with developers when you do, it's, it's wonderful. But um, yeah. to see that interaction between them, I think, was very, very
0: valuable. It was. It was. It was very cool. It was very cool. Okay. So let me ask you this then. If you were to mentor a younger person, where do you think you'd have the, the strongest influence in being a really great mentor?
1: Well, you know, certainly it's about uh, sharing your lessons learned the bumps and bruises, you know, life is not a, a cakewalk for anybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody who tells you it is, they're lying to you. Uh, also to learn how to share your knowledge, you know, and um, there's kind of an art and science behind, behind everything we do in our world, you know, uh, whether it's gardening, you know, uh, whether it's fixing your car, whether it's, you know, learning a new software product, uh, you know, whether it's jumping into a different industry, you know, there is the scientific side of here are the facts of how you do things. And then there's an artistic side of how do you do it elegantly. So I think the mentoring is really a little bit about style and, you know, um, approach because life presents so many different things to you that you can't really calculate or understand. And also to understand there's pitfalls that exist and understanding that anything of value takes time and energy and dedication and to not take shortcuts. Yeah. You know, I think there are people looking for the silver bullet and the quick way to get something done. And I just haven't found it to be true. Mm. Unless somebody like you mentors somebody and share some knowledge and helps you understand much more quickly, something that could have taken weeks, months, or years to learn. Yeah. You can learn in a conversation. Yeah. That's mentoring.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's neat. Okay. So the final question I ask everybody I do this interview with is this, is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: I'd like to thank you, Jeff. You know, you've been a real inspiration. Uh, You talk about learning each time we get together. The same goes for me. I can remember you taking me to your art studio and showing me some of your physical art and some of your computer art. And, you know, every time I get together with you, there's some new facet. You know, there was a time we were together, I think when you came back from D.C., and I learned that you had written a book. And, you know, I didn't know you... Did that, you know, and the way you've grown just in the last four months. I mean, you've gone virtual with UX, you know, you were a hands on workshop leader, and you are now pushing the limits of what can be done virtually with Trello or Miro and Zoom and Zoom meeting rooms and breakouts. And, you know, you're pushing the limit. I can remember the first session I was in with you. I'm like, this is a lot to learn on the fly. I'm, I'm really struggling you know, but Jeff's pushing us to get better, to be, you know, better version of ourselves. So really what I want to say is you with your podcasts and your website, your style guides, you know, you continue to show more dimensions of your personality and ways for you to, that you're paying it forward and, and sharing what you've learned along with
0: others. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the paying it forward thing, you, you said that earlier too, about what you want to do. And, and that, that really is what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to form this, this community of people with a lot of really deep knowledge um, in a way that young men, young women, anybody can learn from this because man, there are so many people out there with their own trials and tribulations and trying to figure out life and, trying to figure out how to make the right kind of decisions and I feel that that this is a way that I can that I can help with that so that's what I'm doing and it comes down to being able to interview people like you people who have these phenomenal experiences you know most everybody that I've interviewed so far has been somebody that I've that I have had my own personal relationship with and and that will spread out eventually I'll I'll be interviewing people that I don't have a close personal relationship with but I've still got a list of like <laughs> 65 guys that I want to interview for this and and each one is cool and unique and there's something great about all of it so it's starting to form this really cool tapestry and I'm still young in this right i mean i mean you're only like the seventh or eighth or ninth interview that I've done so it's still it's still young but i think we're forming this really really great foundation. let's go back to the foundation again. we're forming this great foundation just to keep building stuff on top of it. so this has been fantastic for me. thank you so much for saying that um about me. i i i really appreciate that. and um We'll close it out. This has been phenomenal. I, I, I really thank you for spending the time with me. I, I, I appreciate it. And I think this is going to be a, uh, a great a great podcast to put out there. Thanks for the opportunity, Jeff. All right. You're welcome, man. Bye-bye. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman Podcast. And remember that you can join us and get a free guide over at sagewarriorgentleman.com. We'd love to have you join our conversation and please help us spread the word if you feel this could help someone you know and care about.